how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I sat down with Tyler McIntyre. As a screenwriter, Tyler co-wrote Five Nights at Freddy's. The story follows a troubled security guard who begins working at Freddy's Pizza. During his first night on the job, he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through. Pretty soon, he will unveil what actually happens at Freddy's. As a director, McIntyre directed Justin Long and Joel McHale in It's a Wonderful Knife. After saving her town from a psychotic killer, Winnie's life is less than wonderful. When she wishes she'd never been born, she finds herself in a nightmare parallel universe where without her, things could be much, much worse. In this interview, we talk about the game of development, getting started as an editor, creating an uplifting slasher movie, a good ratio for comedy and horror, casting people who have a history of the genre, casting to play against type, logistical frustrations in filmmaking, and advice for making horror movies on a responsible budget. Well, uh, yeah, I used to draw a lot when I was a kid um, and then uh, started, um, you know, like taking pictures and writing little stories and um, and then eventually kind of co-opted um, this little VHS camera that my dad uh, had uh, taken home for from uh, he worked at a college and would uh, had sort of access to this little camera. Um, and I uh, started making little movies with that. And then eventually they, um, you know, I started finding other other people like um uh, who i sort of grew up with who would help me kind of make little movies and then they got bigger and bigger and eventually i went to film school and um uh, moved to los angeles and and it's all spiraled out of control since and you've kind of done writing directing editing producing do you see it as kind of one big thing that's half creative half business or how do you see the business yeah definitely i mean like um it's very much um you know it's a little unlike other art forms in that like if you, if you are a, like a purely a writer like and i mean like a novelist or something um or a, you know you can you're kind of in control of your of your things like as long as you have you know like like are able bodied and can type or 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 write or or, or like physically uh you're kind of in control of the sort of things that you're creating like there's not a lot of logistical issues other than um other than just time in the day um whereas uh time is still a factor in filmmaking but there's a lot of other personalities involved in like if you want people to like if you're operating a camera you know people need to be in frame and like you know you need actors need and then as soon as you get a number of people involved then it costs a lot of money and and you know places to shoot and it it, it becomes very quickly very expensive and also very um there's a lot of uh problem solving elements to it just a lot of different a different set of new problems in a new environment with new people that you um and it can be a lot of fun but it's also very challenging and very taxing and a lot of people don't like that element of it and i you know i've been thankful enough that i've had a lot of good producers um especially early in my career who are um very good about uh, about you know helping me work through a lot of those problems um uh, like you know creatively as well as logistically and uh, I think it gave me sort of space to kind of um, uh, be comfortable, you know, in all sorts of parts of the production, like, you know, with, uh, you know, so I used to do a thing where I would help people like shoot projects, you know, like, and, and, and so it became a very big thing early on for me to help other people like lower the barrier of entry to making a short film, you know, like be like, you can borrow my camera and my lights 
and I'll go help you, you know, like, and, and, you know, like you should go do this, you know, like, and trying to sort of help people, um, you know, like make their first movies. And then as a result, like people did and, and, and I was able to like help them edit them. And then, and I just got better at the other parts of it. And it, and those like kind of technical skills are often easier to um, make a living off of, you know, like it's a lot easier to make it, you know, a, a living as an editor or a cinematographer or a, even like a production designer or a line producer than it is as like one of the key creative because, because or like, and by that, I mean like writer or director, because there's sort of the sense of that anyone can do it, you know, like, uh, and if they just did, you know, if, if all the logistics and the financial part were figured out, then I could do this, you know, but the thing is like, that's the whole game. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, and so um, I definitely, um, you know, see it as this holistic thing. And as a result, I have a very, um, you know, uh, um, diverse, uh, IMDB, uh, cause, cause I, I worked on a lot of things cause I just love making movies. What did you not know kind of going into it? it? It might just be everything you just said, but was it, does all that kind of form together to make a great pitch or conversation starter, or how do you kind of think about carrying a project all the way across the board? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have um, my, you know, because I, I I was an editor for a long time um, and, and that was kind of my bread and butter, like right out of film school. Um, I, I definitely am very comfortable in post-production and a lot of people don't like even even great directors, director, even directors you like heard of don't have a great grasp of like how it goes together and are very good at like gathering the pieces, but don't necessarily know how to sort it out. And um, I find that like because I, I, I had a background in editing, I was very um I'm very much able to be like, oh yeah, we see these two shots and that's all to go together. And, you know, and, and people may or may not, you know, even very experienced producers and, and stuff don't necessarily can, can, can always go with you on that journey. Um, but uh, you know uh, so like when it comes to something like it's a wonderful knife, I definitely kind of came in with like a sense of like, here's what the pace is like. Here's what's, um, you know, like here's what the palette, the movie's going to look like in the, in the sort of regular world. And we have this sort of nightmare version of the same town. And like, mm -hmm. here's what the differences are and, and sort of try to use the tools um, that I knew were going to be at our disposal to sort of shape and serve the story that Michael had kind of come up with. Do you see like a grander scope, big picture of like the voice you're trying to represent? Like, is it in like a comedy horror field or, or how do you kind of see big picture stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, I I really gravitate towards uh, kind of subversive stories. Like, I really like um, sort of grounding people in a set of like genre expectations in particular, and then trying taking them or trying to take them somewhere they haven't been before. And so that's something that this script, I think, does. It kind of gives you this sort of um, sand defines the sandbox of like it's a wonderful life or like a movie with a magical wish, um, I, I, like a like a kind of Christmas Carol element to it. And then, and then within that, we're trying to make an uplifting slasher movie and that, and there's not a lot of uplifting slasher movies. And so, um, you know, like that's a fun challenge for me. And, um, and so I, I often kind of look for, for stories like that. And a lot of like my first couple of things have been sort of horror comedies, but they're not all the same mixture. Like, um, like tragedy girls is definitely more like 70, 30 comedy horror. And this is a little bit more like, like, uh, 60, 40, the other direction, you know? Um, and even like, like, um, uh, I mean, it would be called patchwork that was a bit more like kind of physical comedy and a bit more like gross out kind of uh, horror and um and uh, but uh, we're all after very similar games in terms of like it's often about that a uh, kind of group of people coming together and 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 their relationship and and uh you find these kind of through lines um and a lot of them are are not necessarily like super intentional like a lot of them are kind of the audience sort of um figuring out how they react to them and then uh, across a number of projects you can sort of see what your voice is 
Are there any points that start to change the tone where you have to kind of lean into that? Like I'm, I'm thinking of like casting Justin Long. He has been in some more horror recently, but he's mainly known for comedy. Um, do you think about things like that? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm very aware of that. Like, uh, like uh, I like, you know, a lot of people, my approach to casting is, is relatively specific. Like I, I'm very cognizant of group dynamics, but also of audience expectations. So like, um, like uh, when I try and, feel like a role like often people are just kind of like well i'll just read a bunch of people for this role of whatever and if i can get somebody who has like a history in the genre that i'm making i will try and put them in so like you know a good example that would be like somebody like katie isabel who like i know from like ginger snaps and like you know um freddie versus jason and like american mary and like a lot of these kind of awesome like horror films that she's been a, a part of and and i've been like wanting to work with her and this is a part that really fits her like a glove and like you know was really the like the conversation really revolved around her. Like she was really the biggest, the best choice, you know? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, but if I could fill in like, you know, Roger Evans was like, just could have been anybody who's an elderly performer, but we wanted to bring in somebody like a William B. Davis who has like a history in, in like, you know, he's from the X-Files, you know, like he has a history of in the genre and is very well respected in Canada. And we were lucky to have him. And um, so like, I like playing with that a little bit, um, but you know, with somebody like Justin Long, like, you know, he he's kind of no like, I mean, he's been in a lot of movies, you know, especially for a guy his age. Um, and but he has this sort of nice guy assumption about him that I'm trying to play against type. I mean, similar, we're doing similar something with Joel McHale. We're kind of he's a big comedic actor, but we're trying to use use his other kind of shades. And I, I like doing that. I like I like um pl playing people against type. And um, and you know, like we have this sort of bizarre conceit with Justin's character, we sort of this kind of hallmark villain run amok. And that's very fun to me, you know, like um, getting a guy that that is like the boy next door and then getting him to play a sort of sinister character is is very funny. He has a lot of ideas for that sort of thing. And um, it's just kind of a fire hose of, of kind of ideas. And you end up as a director kind of shaping those things. But he also has a great history in horror comedy, you know, like uh, and, and horror specifically, you know, like, he's, you know, obviously he's in Tusk and like drag me to hell, you know. Mm -hmm. Is there like, um, so for those writer directors coming up who don't maybe understand the full grasp of the business side of things, is there like a no brainer checklist of things that get stuff made is like when I've got this actor, this script, a genre crossing screenplay, like what are some of those things that people don't know about maybe? I mean, there's no one like silver bullet, obviously. I just find that horror is a very exciting um place space to work in because of the audience itself and it's more um and how that affects the sales and and other business considerations because you don't really need um, a big cast to make a to get a horror movie to work on a, on a certain budget like on a, on a responsible smaller budget um uh because uh the horror audience is kind of open you know like like if you're doing something creative uh like with the with the like they'll watch a cabin in the woods movie tomorrow mm -hmm home invasion movie you know like but how do you do it you know and like what is the, the the kind of the concept is the star the hook is the star your perspective is the star in a way that you know other like you can't get a comedy movie made like a flat-out comedy ma movie made without a comedic star or a, and, and it really helps to have a dramatic star um you know because a lot of indie dramas launch at you know like festivals that rely on that sort of thing um, and whereas horror movies, it's not as big an expectation. And as a result, I think it's a more exciting space. And a lot of my favorite directors who went on to do great movies in all genres, often their first movies are horror movies. Is there, what's the pressure on making a movie that may or may not go to theaters versus streamers? Like, is that something you're thinking about or is that something left to other people? I mean, I definitely always try and think of theaters first and and often my movies play theaters in some way i mean you know like it's it's getting a you know a, a theatrical release which is what i'm really excited about and um 
I've been fortunate to have enough to have um, a good number of people see my movies in theaters first. Um, but like, you know, I also understand that like most people, you know, especially like, like the people live everywhere, you know, like and the, a lot of people watch movies on streaming and you have to kind of be cognizant of that, but I don't try and pander to it. Like I find it, I try to make it for the theatrical experience and, um, and then just running towards that. And then you'll always get a bit of a, a bit of a, um, uh, a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, like essentially like a, like a, I don't want to say watered down, but but like a like a somewhat lesser version of, of theatrical experience at home, and it just depends on 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 like how much attention you're paying to it as as like technically as a, and and often today you're competing with people like on their phones like watching things you know like, like kind of second screen stuff, and that's that's annoying. But you can't really can't really correct for that. Like like I've gotten um, dinged in like you know like smaller outlet reviews over the years for like things that are like clearly in the movie, you know, like that they weren't paying attention to, you know, like, um, or, you know, like they're like, you know, logistically, like, you know, like, as in like, there was multiple times this was mentioned, but it's, you know, and it was never, you know, and so, um, and I think part of that is just because, um, people have their, um, you know, these devices in their pocket that like really volley for their attention at all times, you know? And, and it's, um, uh, and it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, but you can't really like, as a, as a creator, you know, really try and course correct for that. You can just do the best story you can. Are you kind of, um, tell me a little bit about developing multiple projects. So I think you've, you've got a screen story credit on five nights at Freddy's. Obviously it's a wonderful knife is out now. Are you kind of competing against yourself or how do you think about working on a series of multi, like a multitude of development projects at the same time? I mean, I'm, I write a little bit every day, so I'm always working on stuff. Um, and, uh, I also, I'm always looking for things to direct, you know, and I don't necessarily need to write everything that I direct, obviously. Um, and, uh, but you know, things come to fruition at different times, you know, like my first two movies came out within four months of each other, even though they were shot, you know, a year and a half apart, you know, kind of thing. And, and so it's, it, sometimes things go a little fast, sometimes we go slow, sometimes, I mean, it looks like I'm really super busy because, but, but we wrote on five nights for, you know, a couple, like over two years, um but you know a couple of years ago but now that movie finally got you know it got made and um and uh you know we ended up with with a, with a credit on it and uh i'm you know happy with how it came out um but uh but you know it just happens to be like i went off and directed a different thing you know and uh and so it just happens to come out at the same time so it, it's uh you know i i like to keep some irons in the fire you know you kind of kind of have to because things take a long time to to come to fruition what was the original idea for it's it's a wonderful knife when did you come on board for that project uh, so yeah, Michael Kennedy wrote written it as like a spec script. I think he had a really good experience on Freaky with with Chris Landon, and that was a similar like you know a sort of a body swap movie, like a Freaky Friday type of film, um, but done as a slasher movie. And I think he kind of went back to that same well, having had a good experience. But I also think he really loves you know, It's a Wonderful Life, like, and we wanted to sort of take that kind of concept, and then and, and the script that he wrote really reflected like it was not a beat for beat remake of, of of it's a wonderful life as a horror movie you know like it, it really is its own thing and and it's a wonderful life is really uh, like a riff on a christmas carol and so we wanted to um make our movie but as beholden to that or to eternal life is that one is to a christmas carol and so we um tried to kind of uh, once we had that sort of magical con wish conceit of it then we tried to make it its own thing and uh and that was um uh, you know, um, uh, was about as much thought as we put into it. There's a couple little nods in there, but but it, we weren't trying to be too preoccupied by it. 
For those not familiar with like the time it takes to, you've already kind of said years with some of these projects. Like, when did you come on board? When did everything line up? How long was shooting? Come some of those logistics. Yeah, I, I came on about a year ago. Um, uh, like like uh, well, I mean, maybe a little more than a year ago now. Like um, like uh, kind of last uh September. Like I I was I remember because uh, I did a little location scout after the Toronto International Film Festival. I had a movie there called VHS ninety nine. And and I went right from that into a into a, a location scout, and so uh, so that was kind of kicked off things. And then we were sort of casting as we went, and that that um, fall kind of brought on Jane Whitup as our lead, um, and and Joel McHale, and then eventually um, we kind of settled that we were going to shoot in Vancouver. So we shot it, and I, I'm Canadian, so I've been looking for something to kind of bring back to Canada as a feature. And so we ended up, um, we looked at all, all different places, but we ended up uh, settling on Vancouver. And then so I went up there to prep in January. And uh, we started filling out the rest of the cast, you know, um, Justin Long, a lot of the, you know, uh, Catherine Isabel and a lot of the local kind of, um, you know, uh, people like uh, uh, Jess McLeod and Sean Deppner. And, uh, you know, I uh, was went into prep and figured out all the, you know, the kills and had to scale things back and compress the budget and stuff. And we ended up shooting for um, 18 days, which is not a ton of days. Um, but but we worked, you know, with a good kind of local line producing team to kind of, um, you know, figure out how to maximize the resources we had and, um, and then I, I think um, um, people really got into it and put a, put a lot of hours into it and uh, and really took ownership of it in a way that allowed us to kind of I think get more for for our our money and make the movie look a little bit bigger than than it than it was otherwise maybe supposed to be and um, and then once people started to see like the dailies and things like that and then kind of see the flavor of the thing we we're making and really kind of get behind it then you you saw things kind of um, kind of take off. So there's like obvious things to keep a budget smaller, like don't put it on a spaceship. But what are some common like smaller problems where you you're reading an indie script, but they don't really have an understanding of why certain things are going to be so expensive? Anything like that that's across the board? Yeah, well, the thing you don't really understand, like I think is, I mean, people like locations and speaking parts are are a big thing that once you get down to it, it's like, oh man, like it's often like, you often end up combining characters and and things like that and and like even just having somebody who has like a, like a line or two that person is much more expensive than somebody who doesn't have a line or or giving that line to an existing character um just because uh you know it's a whole other person with a whole other deal who comes in a whole you know and and there's there's these weird sort of um you know protections in place for good reason of on on the on the on the union side um just like in terms of like um, and sometimes they're they're very weird and very specific. Like SAG is, has even different ones than the ones for the um, Actors Union in British Columbia, which is where we shot. Mm -hmm. um, where like you know, like certain characters can have five or fewer lines, and they're in a certain category than actors that have five or more or, or more than five lines. You know, mm -hmm. and so sometimes you're like, oh man, we got to cut two lines of this character for some reason, and you're just like, what a non-creative you know, like thing, you know, so now they're going to be in a scene, not talking and, you know, it, it, you know, so you have to, you have this, you sort of hash this stuff out and figure out the best way to do it. But um, you have to, you know, I would say like characters and locations and uh, are, are the biggest things uh, like uh, uh, in a lot of budgets um, because they involve manpower and, and, and not in terms of like the rental of the location costs, but like you have to move from one to the other. And, and so often, uh, um, like it's a very logistical in the weeds thing, but um, company moves like the idea of like, you have to move all of the people and all of the equipment and all of your, your base camp and on all of these elements from one location to another. And so and then there's a big difference between doing that four times over the course of a shoot and doing that 10 times over the course of a shoot. Um, and it's, and every time you do it, it costs a lot of money. And sometimes that is more money than actually shooting that day. 
you know, so it's it's a question of um, of where you want to put your resources. Um, and so as a creative person, you're always after those sorts of things. But then there's this very logistical side of things where you, if you want something a certain way and are going to get very and are very um, um, bullish about that, then, uh, you know, it costs you other way, other areas. Uh, we're almost out of time. Just the last question. Do you, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago. Sometimes you're the writer, co-writer, some of those things. What stands out? Is it purely logistical? Is it intangible? What makes it a script where you need to come in and, and write part of it as opposed to like it's ready for you to direct? Is there anything that stands out about that? Yeah, I mean, like I always look for stuff that that I want to, if I'm going to be just, a, or if I'm coming to direct something, somebody else's script, I want it to be a, um, a, uh, a script where I'm... Um, like it's not something that I would normally write. So I mean, even though like it's a wonderful knife and tragic girls have a lot in common, like it has a more of a sincere kind of world perspective than than tragic girls does. And that was something that was very attractive to me. It's like, can I tell a story that is that sweet? And can we make a uplifting slasher movie? And those challenges are part of what attracted me to it, and also part of what make it something that that um, I want to direct, but don't necessarily. I'm not necessarily the person to write, you know. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.